0: Jesus, I thank you so much that you love us unconditionally. You, you, you call us into a deep relationship with you. You offer us everything that we could need. And Lord, I pray that right now you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that you would give us wisdom to be able to understand your words. Lord, we need you. We need you more than we could ever imagine. And I pray that uh, you would give us a heart that understands how much we need you. I pray that we would be dependent on you. When we call, we would not leave until you answer us, Lord. We will wait upon you. We bring all our needs, our sicknesses, and our hurts, our wounds from our past. We bring it all to you. We pray for the kids downstairs. You would bless them and teach them your word at their level. Bless the servants who are down there giving their time. Lord, we pray. That you would speak to all of us, and you would create us as to be a city on a hill in, the, in our community to light the way for, for uh, this city to know you and to be saved by you. In your name, we pray. Amen. Wiley e. Coyote had a tough life. You remember that guy? If you think you have it rough, remember Wiley Coyote. Right? You remember Looney Tunes? Did you ever watch Looney Tunes as a kid? Or okay looney tunes right it was the best and why the coyote he all he wanted to do was was eat that little road runner i mean there's me. <laughs> there's dozens of thousands of road runners out there he just wanted that one but he never seemed to be able to do it he would set these traps he would go to the acme store i guess you remember that and he would buy the the biggest anvil or the trap or the rocket or the boomerang or whatever he bought. And he, he devised these plans. He set these traps over and over again. And what would happen? He would get caught in his own traps, right? He would, he would get crushed by his own anvils. He'd get stuck in his own schemes. It was, it was a rough go for him. And all of that is a picture of what we call poetic justice. Poetic justice. And that's the title of today's sermon is poetic justice. Last week, we studied Naaman. You remember Naaman? He was a Syrian commander in the army and he was healed of leprosy he had this little slave girl that was jewish and she said oh well if you just went down to israel god would heal you the prophet there he could call upon the lord he would heal you naaman went down with all these all this money and all these horses and camels and stuff to to pay for the healing and elisha said no 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 don't pay anything god's healing is free But you do need to humble yourself to go wash in the Jordan. You have to strip naked and show what your disease really is. And we saw leprosy was a big picture of what? Sin. Sin, that's right. And Naaman pictures for us how someone gets saved. How salvation is one of the most amazing and beautiful and powerful pictures for us of salvation in the whole Old Testament. Calling upon the Lord you can 't bring any of your riches you can 't bring any of your good deeds as as the Elisha showed to naaman you can 't do any of that, and what happens so Naaman he goes and he washes, and his leprosy is gone, and his his uh, skin is all perfect after he washes seven times fully surrendering to the Lord and his will and his way of doing things, okay? And then it happens in in 2 Kings 5.15. We'll pick up right here. He returned to the man of God and, and he and all his aides and they came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. When Jesus is everything you need, He has promised to be everything you need. Or you could flip it. Jesus has promised to be everything you need, so he will be everything you need. When you believe he has everything you need, then he will be everything you need. He will be everything you need because you believe he'll be everything. The the key word is believe. Do you believe Jesus is everything? Everything that you need. Jesus went to Nazareth where he was raised as a young man and he declared himself to be Messiah in church one day. He read a portion of Isaiah. He said, I'm the Messiah. And the the people there, they were shocked. They attempted to throw him off a mountain. They were that upset. They're like, no, you're not. You're Jesus. We know you. You grew up on that block right over there. The crowd, they were shocked and they attempted to throw him off this cliff and he said, a prophet is not accepted in his own country. And it also says that he could do no mighty works in Nazareth because of what? Their unbelief, unbelief. that's right. Those people who should have known who Jesus was they actually knew who Jesus was they should have known, and and they didn't believe they knew who Jesus was as a person but they didn't believe that he was the Messiah and Jesus he goes there he goes on to explain their unbelief with a reference to what we studied last week so in this little story Jesus says in Luke four twenty seven. Specifically, he says, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Oh, we just read about that. Oh, we learned about that. But none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Why does Jesus just throw that in when he's talking about to these, to these Nazarites, these Nazarenes who, who were living there and who knew him, but they didn't believe because hey, Why was Naaman healed? Because he chose to humble himself and believe. Humility and faith. He humbled himself. He stripped off all his clothes. He was forced to admit that he was a leper and he was dirty, tore up from the floor up, or whatever the kids say these days. He, 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 was, he, he had no pride. He comes in and he's healed when he trusts in the Lord and trusts in the word that the Lord said. So we have now the people in Israel, and yes, they had more revelation of who God was than the nations around them, but they didn't believe. And you guys are all in church here today. You already know more about God and his love than most of the people in our city, honestly. But do you believe? Do you believe? Israel, they were called by God's name. I mean, it'd be like people saying, I'm a Christian. A lot of people say I'm a Christian, don't they? But do they believe? God is not a respecter of persons. He that means that he, he's an equal opportunity savior. He will save. And in 1 Corinthians one i I'm going to read a, a scripture to you. 1 Corinthians 126 through 30 he says, Now you see your calling, brethren, that not many of you are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that, here's the reason why he does all that weird stuff, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. See, like I said at the beginning, When you believe Jesus is everything you need, he is promised and he will be everything you need. When you believe it. Do I I need wisdom right now? I need to figure out how to get a job. Well, what do I do? One thing. Call upon the Lord. That is our only option. Because he promises to be there for us. You need wisdom. You need righteousness. Oh, well, I need to be forgiven of my sins. One choice. Call upon the Lord. Well, I need to walk righteous daily. I mess up all the time. You got one choice. Call upon the Lord. Not try harder. Call upon the Lord. I need sanctification. That's that daily process. Call upon the Lord. I need redemption. All of it. He gives one solution. Call upon the Lord. Naaman has pictured for us this way of salvation through humility and faith. He was prideful at the beginning. He, he had his position. He had his money, but his sin infected all of it. It didn't matter how rich he was because he was dying as a leper. You know, we had parts of his body fallen off and he was, he knew it was wrong. So he humbled himself and he submitted to the word of God in faith and he was healed completely. But I want to point out one more lesson for us that's in that healing before we get into our study in Gehazi's life. He had to go to the Jordan River. The Jordan River. You remember that? Elisha said, go to the Jordan. Remember, he was all upset. He said, well, we have more pretty rivers in Syria. We have this river over and we have that river and they're heated and Jordan's cold. I don't know. He didn't like the Jordan. He thought it was muddy and gross and he just didn't like it. Why does God require us and Naaman to go to the Jordan River? Well, because this river, the Jordan River, has always been a picture of death. Death. The very name Jordan means judgment, and death is the penalty of sin. Right? So, this is why Jesus was baptized where? Jordan River. And this is what we embrace when we come to Jesus we realize that it's death that sets us free. It should be our death that sets us free. That's our penalty for our sin. But instead, we get this weird switcheroo where Jesus' death sets us free, and that's why we can just be baptized. And when we're baptized, it's we symbolically take his death by faith, and it becomes our death, and now we have no more penalty for sin upon our life, and we just love him, love him, love him so much. All the time. We embrace his death, and that's what Galatians 2.20 says when it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about love. As Christians, we should not be weary, dreary, I'm dying to myself today. It's so hard to die to self. It's so hard. It's not. He died for us. We get to rejoice in that us we're just putting away our old life because it's disgusting compared to his beautiful pure life that's poured into us as we read the word and trust him and pray it's 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 we throw it away like we throw up so much dirty clothes Every night I'm getting to bed, I'd, throw, I'd take off my socks, and I don't know what to do with them, and I used to just throw them on the floor every single night, right? And I would get these pile of dirty socks and other various clothing items on my side of the bed because our laundry basket was way over in the closet, really far away. I don't know who decided to put it there, but it, it was way far away. And we was getting into bed, and I'm like, I don't want to walk all the way over there because I'm tired and sleepy. So... Last week we bought a new laundry basket and we put it on my side of the bed right there so I have no more excuse. Well, the way that I throw that old dirty laundry off is the same way we turn over our life to the Lord on a daily basis. I'm not here to live my life. I'm just going to live for you because you've loved me so much. Our life begins when we identify with his death on the cross. Our life is fulfilled daily when we identify with his death on the cross and allow him to live through us. We say, yes, that was for me. I accept it. I receive it. I believe it. He is my savior. We take him. We eat him. We drink him. It's all him, not us. Him. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple. Romans eleven twenty two. You're like, when are we ever going to get into kings? Oh, we'll get there. This is all introduction. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. Paul says to the Romans, I-, I want you to consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness... Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Naaman is a wonderful picture of the goodness of God upon the humble and faithful sinner. Now, we're going to see an incredible contrast with Gehazi. Everyone say Gehazi. Gehazi. Why don't you name your kids that? Because he's awful. He is like the worst guy. He he has been a, a picture the entire time of faithlessness. And he's going to be a picture now of the awful judgment of God upon pride and doubt. Oh yes, doubt is wrong. Doubt is wrong. It is sin. There's some people out there in the more progressive things, I don't know what to call them, but they're like, oh, your doubt's just, it's okay if you doubt everything. No, it's offensive to God. He's given you his word and his promises. And if you doubt him, you're calling him a liar. And that's (laughs) not okay. Not okay. It is offensive. It is sin. You bring your doubts to the Lord. You lay them at the cross and say, I have sinned. I doubt your word. Forgive me. You never lie. You never break your word. You never break your promises. I am wrong for even thinking that. I am wrong. That God pours out love and grace upon that heart. See the difference? Do you see how this progressive mm, way of thinking of, oh, you can, you can struggle through your doubts and just live there. You're basically saying to someone, just swim around in your puddle of mud. That's not what they need. Well, it's not what we need. We need full surrender and submission to God's word. Believe his promises and he'll come and and there'll be goodness, but there's also severity. Goodness upon those who maintain their belief, severity on those who shrink back to doubt and and, uh, the opposite of humility and faith. We're going to see a great judgment upon that heart. Pride, self-sufficiency and doubting, God is going to judge today, and it's going to blow your mind. So, we see this man, Gehazi. Gehazi, his uh, we have called him a loser, which he is. We've called him faithless, which he is. We've called him prideful, which he is. Uh, look, at, look at a couple of the ways that we have seen this. A, a widow has just lost her son. Okay? Um, she, his, her son died. She comes to the prophet Elisha just to pour out her heart to him, ask him to seek the Lord for her. And what does Gehazi do? He pushes her away. What a jerk face. Just a loser. Oh, this guy's working at the church. And he's like, you want to seek the Lord? Get out of here. That's not okay. Example number two. He was ineffective in raising the dead boy to life because he didn't even believe it was possible and he didn't even pray. You remember that story? A couple weeks ago, we talked about that. Number three, third example. He mocked Elijah and doubted the power of the Lord when Elisha said, we're going to feed all these hundred people with this just little bit of bread. He he mocked him. He said, are you kidding me? There's just this, you want me to... Feed this little bit of bread. No. He mocked true faith. For his name even means denier. Which Elisha should have known. I mean, (laughs) hi, my name is Denier. I'd like to work at your church. (laughs) Come on, bro. All right. So Naaman, he says, please take this gift from your sermon. You're like, why didn't we talk about this last week? Well, A, the sermon was like an hour long last week already. So, we had to cut it off somewhere. But B, because it really plays into what we're talking about today. He, 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 he says, take this gift. I, I, I've got a changed heart. I believe only in the God of Israel now. I would like to give a gift. Uh, but he said, as the Lord lives by whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Elisha, you know, he he's just wants all the thanks and praise to go to God. He's like, I had nothing to do with this. I simply pointed you in the right direction. And, and God is writing this resume of his faithfulness. And the resume he wants, what he wants to be on his resume is my healing is free. My grace is free. Naaman is about to go back to Syria where there are a bunch of pagans. Naaman is about to go back there with this story of how God heals and God saved him. And God does not want his image to be tarnished with him saying, Oh yeah, and I, I I gave a bunch of money to the priest and he accepted it. No. God says, no, no, no. If they have one thing, I want them to hold on to one thing, and that's my grace is free. It's free. You do nothing to get it except humble yourself and believe. Humility and faith. All right? So Naaman said, well, then if not, please let your servant uh, be given two mule loads of earth. He said, well, okay, since I can't give you any money, can I take some dirt from Israel? For your servant will no longer eat, offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods. Oh, that's awesome. Changed heart. This guy's changed. Uh, um, I'll now, But to the Lord only yet this one thing may the lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the temple of rimmon to worship there and and leans on my hand and i bow down in the temple of rimmon i will when i bow in the temple of rimmon may the lord please pardon your servant in this thing and he said go in peace so he's like I, i'm i can't really come back to jerusalem all the time i have responsibilities in syria but i'm going to worship only god I'm going to go to the temple because that's where people worship, but I'm going to only worship God. And Elisha's not, you're not following the rules. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, bro, God's fine. God understands your heart. God's a God of peace and grace. You're okay. Just uh, trust in the Lord. And here's a remarkable illustration of the mercy of God. Naaman understands that God is the only God who, who he desires a relationship with. So, we take some of the earth from the Holy Land, God's land, to God's property. Uh, God's property. You remember listening to them? GPI with me. Sorry, it totally went into my head right there. Kirk Franklin, man. It's good stuff. Um, so, he, he kind of takes this land so he can kind of be a transplant. We got all these transplants from California. Yeah, it happens. Um,. So this, this guy, Naaman, now he has faith. He wants to continue to serve God in a pagan land. He's basically already become a missionary. Isn't that cool? God's, and it's only God's grace that can produce this kind of love that Naaman now has in his heart. You don't see any of the law-keeping Jews spreading the good news of the gospel to the pagan world of Syria, do you? None of them. In fact, God tried to get Jonah to go up there, and what, what happened with that? Fail whale. Na- <laughs> uh, that, was a, that was a good comment. <laughs> Fail whale. Good job. Okay. Naaman here, he's choosing size, and he chooses the God of Israel. And God is not a stickler. He's genuinely concerned about the heart, a- and rules will never, ever change the heart and this is what we must understand in ministry and in our church and the true churches of God is that legalism doesn't ever create loving disciples. It can't. That is an inability of the laws to put, change your heart and produce love. Only God's grace does that work. And we are going to stand on that and we are going to fight for that truth. We can't go around putting laws, oh, you know what will make your life better? Add a law or two. And now, now, it's really tricky and deceptive because you're like, oh, well, let's, let's, let's add a law and say if you get that tattoo, you're going to hell. If you, if you drink that, you're this, that, and the other. And you can get re- just draw a line and say the law doesn't create a new heart. Jesus' death on the cross and his grace does. So whenever the conversation gets kind of hairy and you start talking about, should I do this? Should, should we all do this? Should we not do that? You've got to just end the conversation there and say, let's talk about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Draw the attention back to that. Let the arguments come and, and just be a disciple of Christ. And you just say, I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is, but let's pray. Let's just pray. Let's get on our knees, worship the Lord, talk about the Lord, and pray. You will accomplish far more than any law or discussion about legalism would ever accomplish in someone's heart. And you guys know it's true. No one's heart has ever been changed by saying, you should dress different. You should do different things. That never changes a heart. That's the gospel that does that work, right? That's the gospel. Okay. Colossians 2 is a verse that we need to pull in right now because it's one of the most Im- important verses dealing with legalism that you'll ever see. Colossians 2.20. And whenever you're having a discussion about legalism, you need to bring this up. You need This is a great way to point it back to Jesus. In Colossians 2.20, it says, Therefore, if you died with Christ... You you remember that? You remember we've already talked about that part of this? Identifying with his death, that's how we get saved. He says, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? What are regulations? Laws, rules. Uh, Like this, he says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. I've I've been to some churches where a lot of the sermon was, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Haven't you? I've been to those kind of churches. He says, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. He says, listen, if you do that, if you're focused on what you do or don't do, what you're focused on is how men see you. Not how God sees you, how men see you. You're a man pleaser. You're not a God pleaser. Oh, I'm only concerned about God's law. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because God's law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What makes God happy? Jesus. Jesus makes God happy. Do you make God happy by your performance? No. Let me just clear that up. God is not happy with how any of you have lived. And you're not any better than anyone else. And so God is not, God, when we focus on the laws and what we do and what we don't do, you're not making God happy. You're there. Your whole heart is consumed on what do men, he says, the doctrines and commandments of men. What do men think about me? I don't, I don't do that, so I'm better than Hitler. Well, who cares? Hitler's in hell. Why does everyone compare themselves with Hitler? Anyway, <laughs> he says, these, these according to the doctrines and commandments, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Okay, so you go to churches and they say, okay, you, um, you keep this rule, you keep that rule, and, and it looks like you're doing better in your life. Oh, look how you dress. You must be doing better than Hitler They have an appearance of wisdom, but he says, in self-imposed religion. In self-imposed religion, he says, it's false humility and neglect of the body. You're not truly humble, which means you're not truly dependent on God, because you're dependent on how well you're doing. Instead of saying, I'm a sinner and I depend on Jesus only, you're saying, I'm a sinner, but I'm going to try not to do all these things so I can please God more than the other sinners, like Hitler. He says they have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body. Oh, I'm not going to do those things. But they're of no value, Paul says, against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, Paul says, you are so bad, your flesh is so corrupted, everything, that when you are trying to do what's right, you're actually just indulging your flesh saying, look at me, try to do what's right. That's what's going on in your heart. Every time you try to please God by a law-keeping, that Paul says that's what's going on in the heart. It is you're indulging your flesh. Well, I thought it was indulging my flesh if I drank all the time and got all the tattoos and did all this and did all that and watched those things. And did, I thought that was indulging the flesh. Well, it could be. But it's also indulging the flesh to not do those things. So what do we do? Call upon the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Only trust in what Jesus has done for us. And that is the purity of the gospel that never goes away. Naaman, in our story, he no longer trusts his flesh. He's put it to death. He's alive and free. But Gehazi is dead and enslaved. So look at what happens in our scripture, our story. So we departed from a short distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and and take something from him. This guy is so deceived. He thinks he's making vows to God. He thinks he's doing the right thing by taking something. From Naaman, so Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, "Is all well?" So Gehazi is a slave now to greed; he cares nothing for the glory of God. Elisha had already taken care of the glory of God; he had protected it. He said, "Keep your money. This was free. The glory of God is thus protected. His image, his his who he is." His name is protected. Well, Gehazi doesn't care about that. He develops this evil scheme. He wants to bring shame to God because he doesn't care about God because he doesn't know God. Right? It will benefit him financially. And that's who he cares about. Who? Himself. Why doesn't God stop him? Sometimes God gives people over to the intention of their heart to let them run into the buzzsaw themselves. Okay? Uh, so sometimes wives are like, why doesn't God stop my husband from being an idiot? And God's like, just just do follow my word, you submit. And I love that phrase I heard a couple on the, the that movie, the what was that movie? Um, the War Room. And and she's like, Sometimes submission is just ducking so God can clobber your husband. And like that one. <laughs> right? That's a lot of amens on that one. (laughs) Naaman, Naaman, look at Naaman. He's so gracious and kind. He's been transformed, man. And still, Gehazi's heart is so hard that he's committed to go through with this sinful plan. In fact, he's not just committed, he's running to sin. He's like, I'm going to run after him. I'm so excited to get this money. Where was all this passion and commitment when it came to trusting the word of God? Well, it wasn't there. Why? Because he doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. So now the lies start. He says, all is well. (laughs) Don't worry, my master just sent me saying, oh, indeed now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come here from the mountains of Ephraim, way far away. You don't know them. You don't know who they are. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So he, he shows him the commercial. In the arms of the angel. He, he has the bleeding heart story of these people who need them. Gehazi, he doesn't care about the truth. Only gain. And, and he doesn't care about his master's reputation, Elisha. He throws him under the bus. See, the flesh uses lies to manipulate people for selfish gain in the spirit when you're walking in the spirit and ministry is being done in the spirit it's truthful and it's honest and there's no manipulation we're not trying to get people to change via manipulation we are giving them truth so that they can be set free by truth uh, we can't do ministry by saying can you stop sitting please you're make you're breaking my heart anakin Why? It's manipulation. Okay, when you're talking to someone and you're telling them how much their sin has hurt you, it's manipulation. You need to take that up with the Lord. You need to forgive them in obedience to the Lord. And then you come to them and you tell them truth, but it's not to get them to change. You're saying, I am coming to forgive you. You've wronged me and I'm forgiving you. That's the way we handle disagreements in the church. That's how we do it according to the word of God. You, you, you trust the Lord. You don't try to change people's hearts by manipulation. It's flesh, and that's what is born of the flesh is flesh. And the only change you're going to get is people trying hard and becoming more a slave of laws instead of set free by the love of Jesus Christ. If you walk up to someone and say, you have hurt me so much, and I love you, and I've forgiven you freely. End of conversation. Let's go get a burger. Do you know what will happen in their heart? Grace will happen. You will be showing them what grace is. It's amazing. But when you come up to them and you say, you have hurt me so much, and I don't know how I'm ever going to get through it, unless you, forget, unless you change your actions, unless you ask me to like, just repent, just you do stuff. That's the only way I can... And you know what? Parents do this with their kids all the time too. Anyway, we could talk on this for a long time. I need to move on. (laughs) Flesh uses uh, lies to manipulate people for selfish gain. If you ever see yourself justifying lies, just know that your flesh is in control of your heart right now. And the only solution for flesh is... So Naaman said, please take the two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and, they, and uh, two changes of garments. And he handed them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of him. And when he came back to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in his house. And he did not let the men go and they departed. So Naaman, he, he go ahead and he gives it, but notice that his joy isn't affected because his joy is in the Lord right now. And God protects him even though he doesn't know he's being deceived. Um, you ever given money to one of those preachers on TV? Well, you were deceived because they're probably terrible. But God still looks with you with honor. He understands if you've been deceived. And your joy can still be in the Lord. Now, please don't do that again. But that's the benefit of living a life of faith and humility, is that God takes personal responsibility for your well-being and your joy. He says, if you will just live with humility and faith, I will make sure that you're happy, and I will make sure that you're taken care of. This can, this can be, uh, sometimes there's overprotective parents. You guys ever heard of them? sometimes you, you just have a hard time trusting the Lord with your own children. And the Lord says, Hey, you can't... Uh, uh, your kid may die. Huh? You can't control that. Okay, Now, do, that doesn't mean let your kids go playing chicken in the middle of the road with cars. Be smart and be wise. But our heart has to learn that we have to trust in the Lord. At any point in our life where we refuse to trust in the Lord... There will be consequences. Gehazi is about to suffer some poetic justice, some poetic consequences for his actions. But sometimes parents, the most overprotective parents, you know what their kids look like? They got bumps and bruises and band-aids and broken legs and trips to the hospital more than anyone. And then some parents who are just like, God's got it. They'll be fine. Sometimes their kids are just fine. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, God says that they all have their own angel. God assigns angels to our children. I like that. That's pretty cool. It's a way I can trust in the Lord. Anyway, take that if you want it. Gehazi, he now enters into the covering of sin phase of his, of his scheme. He takes the, the money and he hides it away from people. He gets rid of the witnesses as soon as possible. So the people were carrying the, he, he was too lazy to even carry his own stolen goods. So he, ta- but he, he takes them before they can see where he lives. He takes it from them and he goes and he gets rid of the witnesses and then he hides the evidence and it seems like he's going to get away with it. Does that remind you of anyone? Adam and Eve walking around in the garden, aching, Remember Achan in the Bible? Maybe you were thinking, myself, I never get away with anything. Seems like God always catches me. Well, no one ever gets away with sin. And this is a good lesson for all of you sin sniffers out there. It's not your job to make sure that everyone gets their sin exposed. God will do that in his time. God will do it in his time. Proverbs ten says hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all sins. Proverbs 17 9, he who covers a transgression seeks love. But he repeats a matter separates friends. There's always there is a way that you can confront someone about their sin and still trust in the Lord. Did you know that? Galatians 6 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual Restore such a one in a spirit of what? Anyone know? Gentleness. Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what is this way that we're supposed to deal with other people's sins? With humility and with faith. Humility and faith. Saying, I consider myself, I could do the exact same thing. And faith, saying, I'm going to trust the Lord in his ways. I don't need to get involved. In everything. So now he went in and stood before his master. So Gehazi shows up at work, working at the church, working before his master, and Elisha said to him, Hey, where'd you go, Gehazi? And he said, Uh, your your servant didn't go anywhere. <laughs> what a loser. He's trying to cover his tracks, he's lying, trying to get away with it. Just like Adam, when God said, Adam, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where Adam was or where Adam had been? Of course. Lies don't lead to repentance. What should Gehazi have done right now? Confessed his sin, repented, right? He had an opportunity right here to repent, to be like Naaman, he could have been forgiven and free, but he didn't realize that his disease was the same as Naaman's disease. It was just hidden inside his heart. Naaman's was all gross and drippy and stinky all over his body. And Gehazi had the same disease. It was just in his heart. So he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when, you, when the, the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? It is time to receive is it time to receive money and receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from the presence, from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Wow. Elisha nails him. And I notice a few things here that I just want to point out to you guys. Elisha seems to have a spiritual connection with Naaman now. I don't understand how all that worked, but it's like they were one family. Or He says, when, his, when he turned back, I, my heart was there. Well, that's pretty cool. Elisha seems to have insight also into what Gehazi's plan seems to be. You see, they've spent a bunch of time together. And Elisha knows Gehazi. And he knows that Gehazi appears he wants to leave the ministry and use these stolen goods to start a farm. Isn't that interesting? And I seem to remember, what was Elisha doing when he was called into the ministry? Oh, what? He was working on a farm, wasn't he? In fact, he had a very successful farm, right? And what did he do with the farming utensils when he was called into ministry? And you remember, he burned them. He started a fire and burned them. You see, if you're in ministry and your heart longs for another life, you're not supposed to be in ministry. This is the job, this is the only job in the world where you have to be committed to like death to do it. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. You thought you were going to get away without a Spurgeon quote, but you don't. He says, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. I thought we need more ministers. Oh, we do. We need uh, like 500 more churches our size in this neighborhood. I would never argue with anyone coming and plant a church in our neighborhood. He says, but don't enter the ministry if you can help it. He says, If any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor, or a grocer, or a farmer, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a senator, or a king, in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. He is not the man in whom dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly weary of any pursuit but that for which his inmost soul pants. Wow. If you wanted something from Naaman, he says to Gehazi, you got it. You wanted something from Naaman? You got it. Leprosy. And that's poetic justice. He is Wiley e. Coyote getting smashed with the anvil of God's justice. You had this disease the whole time, Gehazi. You, you just hid it in your heart. You covered over it with pride. See, Naaman is the lucky one. His sin was open for everyone to see. His disease was stinking rotten all over his body. Gehazi's was small and inside. And that's the problem. Now the Lord has brought it out in the open. But for him, it's not a good thing because he's not going to seek the Lord for healing. How do I know that about Gehazi? He's demonstrated every step along the way. He doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. He's too prideful to seek the Lord. And he doesn't believe God loves him or that God is powerful. God has given us this type in the story of Gehazi. Gehazi. Because his grace is free, and he will heal even the worst people who come to him. But those who do not admit their need for God will die in their sin. What an amazing counter to what we saw last week. Naaman is a great story of healing and, and trust and humility and faith and Gehazi. He's the picture that if you don't do it that way, you're dead. And he says, you and your descendants forever. Wow. Wow. That means those people in this earth who follow your example of rejecting the word of God, they will all inherit this disease as well. They're not going to be healed as well. Romans 11.22, we read it at the beginning. I'm going to read it to you again. Now, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Naaman is this perfect sinner, a uh, picture of a sinner saved by grace, and Gehazi is a terrifying image of a sinner rejecting God's will and word and practicing a life of deceit and doubting God's word. And we need to all remember that the genesis of each of these paths was one thing: simple faith. Do you believe? What God says or not. Elisha always believed. Naaman, he learned to believe later. Gehazi never believed. Both Naaman and Gehazi start as sinners. And the only point of change is when their faith was put to the test. Do you believe the word of God? Naaman went through the struggles of his baby faith, and like a baby goes through the trials of labor and delivery, but he was born again into a life of simply trusting God. Hey, I'm going to trust the Lord. I, I struggled with that, but I fully surrendered to it. Gehazi has rejected a life of faith every step of the way, And he's not going to start now. He's never once believed that God loved him. He's never once believed that God was powerful enough to heal or bring victory or do anything. God's promises are too wild for him. Maybe he has a scientific mind that needs reason for everything. Or maybe he had parents that made mistakes and mistreated him as a child. I don't know what the reasons were for him having so much doubt, but I do know this, that it doesn't matter. Because God is always faithful. God had always been faithful, and Gehazi rudely denied that. God demands our complete surrender and trust. Period. What if I said he demanded you to cut off your right pinky? Would you do that? Yeah, I bet I bet if God actually said, all you have to do to get saved is cut off your right pinky, I bet every single one of you in here would do it. I bet you, you would. Now, he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, I demand you believe in everything I say. And I demand that you surrender your will to me. It's not as hard. It's not a work. It's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. He deserves. Not only does he demand our complete trust and surrender, he deserves our complete trust and surrender. Has he ever lied? Has he ever treated you wrong? No. I've talked to some people who said, oh yeah, God's treated me wrong in this, that, or the other. No, you just don't understand. You don't see. That's the truth. But my experience tells me different. Well, your experience is wrong. That's true. Well, my truth is different than your truth. No, that's relativism and it's fooey. When you believe Jesus is everything you need, he has promised to be everything you need. So amazing. So how do we, it says, because there was a warning, a really important warning at the end. We're going to end with this. I know it's been long, but I am, you guys are awesome. He gives us a warning, and he says, how do we continue in his goodness? He says, he'll show goodness to you too if you continue. So how do we continue in his goodness? Keep trusting in the word of God. Keep believing his word keep surrendering to his word when you read the word and realize your life doesn't line up what does his word say to do confess your sin and he is what faithful and just to forgive you your sins cleanse you from all unrighteousness first john 1 8 is the we studied it last uh, wednesday it's the christian's bar of soap we don't use bars much in the world anymore but your loofah of soap and cleansing. Confess your sins to the Lord, and He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is the Word? Jesus. So you abide in His promises and in His works, and that's how you continue, period. Well, I I think that I've reached the age in my Christian life where I'm doing pretty well and I can start kind of looking at how well I'm doing and I can do more of the well that I'm doing. No, you've just fallen from grace. Never stop clinging to the Lord and needing his grace. When When you shift the attention from what he has done for you to what you're doing, you just fell. We can't do that. The Word says continue looking to him. Continue. Well, that's difficult because then I have to read the Word. Yes. Yes, you do. Let your heart be always fascinated with his selflessness and his selfless love and his actions. Let your mind be consumed with his challenging parables Feast your soul on his very life given to you by the Holy Spirit. Gehazi was cut off. You remember in Leviticus 13 and 14? I don't know if any of you went back last week and studied those chapters of the leper and what they were supposed to do in the leper. But one of the things you learn in those chapters, once you became a leper, you were cut off. They said, get out of church. Don't ever come back. And that's Gehazi right here. He's cut off. He's no longer allowed to be in God's presence or with God's people. Why? Because he's prideful, not because he's made mistakes. Because he refuses to accept God's salvation. He keeps his eyes away from God instead of upon God. That's how it happens. And he gets infected with this disease. Don't be like Gehazi. I, don't, I probably don't even have to say that. You guys probably hate Gehazi now. Jesus was his only hope. He had, but he has other hopes. He has other desires. Jesus demands to be everything we hope for and everything we hope in. When you believe Jesus is everything you need, he promises to be everything you need. Does anyone in here need to truly confess that you've been hoping in other things? and you would like to declare that today you will trust in Jesus only, then I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to say, stand up and say, it's me, I'm a sinner. I mean, that's fine if you want to do that. We'll love you and be like, okay, we love you. That's fine. If you need that, go for it. But what I'm going to ask you to do, this isn't an altar call, it's a communion call. Come and take communion. During our last song, when we all stand up and the lights go down, come up and get a piece of bread and get a little bit of grape juice. And let your faith take action. God's hope or God God gives you hope and, and he gives you power. And when you come up here and you take communion, you're saying, I, I believe. I believe and I need your power and I'm going to hope in only you. Faith that that works is dead. You guys are going to be preaching the sermon before you know it. God is inviting you to fully surrender to trusting him. And taking communion is a very biblical way of accepting by faith all that Jesus has promised for you, to be for you. This is a very biblical way of doing that. He is the broken bread for you, right? And that speaks of punishment. He took, his death was for you. He took the price of your sin. And then the new wine the grape juice is a new life for you. He promises those things. When you're doing this, you're not coming up here and taking bread and wine. You're coming up here and you're looking at two promises. Two promises. I got a promise I can look at all the time right here, right there. That my wife will love me forever. That's a promise. <laughs> I got that promise right there. I got all kinds of promises, and it's helpful to have something that you can look at. Now, is this the actual promise? No. The promise comes from her heart, from her soul, from her very being. She made that promise to me. I don't say, "I love you, Dana." <laughs> oh. Mm, 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 mm. I never have kissed this ring before just now. This is the <laughs> first time ever I've shown affection to this ring. I don't care about the ring, honestly. It's cool. It's made of tungsten, and it's nice and heavy. It hurts when she squeezes my hand when she's scared, but it's a promise. It doesn't mean anything if I don't have a relationship with the promise giver. Now, what if, you know, I don't know, who's an who's a actress you like? Johnny Depp, a girl. How about a girl? <laughs> Sandra Bullock. Okay. Let's say I loved Sandra Bullock. She was good in Blindside. We'll not go too far. But let's say she gave me this string, and she said she loved me, and she's. But I, but I never met her. I've not met her. I don't know her. Does it mean anything? No, it doesn't, because there's no relationship behind it. Okay. This. Is God's promise to you and it's real the actual communion is is a symbol just like this ring do you have that relationship with the one who promised you these things do you believe that his body was for you do you believe his life comes into you daily every time you come to him yeah that's what it's about today's the day that you can fully put your trust in the Lord. Maybe that means you give up a dream for your life that you've had. Maybe that means you humble yourself in your broken relationship to seek the Lord and to forgive when the other person is just a jerkwad. Maybe that means you let God have the first fruits of your time in your life and you stop doing some of the things that you do. I'm not sure how each of us struggle to fully surrender, but today is a day that we can be different. Today is a day that we can believe in the word and the promises of God. You can. God has set up a system of salvation based on his faithfulness and your humility and faith. He does it, you just believe it. Does that make sense? It is open and available to everyone here, his full promises will be done in your life because he doesn't lie. And woe to anyone who thinks he does. He creates the good works in our hearts. He does it. One last time, I'll bring up Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. All of us in here need to surrender fully. And there's areas of your heart that are so rebellious. We're just little rebels. You know, we have little part, And maybe a great portion of your life is surrendered to the Lord, but maybe there's a part that you're just, I don't want to give up that part of my life. I like it. God is saying, trust me in everything. Trust me in everything. Would you guys stand with me? Come on up. Father, we want to pray. We want to give our hearts brand new to you. We surrender. Uh, Our rebellion is so wicked, Lord. We don't want to be like a hazy. We don't want to doubt your power or your word because we are sinners. And I pray that like Naaman just freely stripped down of all his fancy clothes and fancy coverings and got rid of all the horses and just As he went down in humility and he was healed, I pray that each one of us would make the same decision. Lord, we need you. There are parts of our life that hurt. There are things that are uh, infested with sin and and infected. And Lord, we need your hand to touch us again today. And I pray that as we uh, come down and, and take the bread and take the juice, that we would remember your promises. I pray that we'd repent of all sin that we know of, that we turn our back on our way of thinking and we would just trust you and your word. Lord, I thank you for every person here. I know, Lord, that we we went long today and we've uh, we've really dove into what you had for us. And I pray that you would plant these seeds deep in our hearts and cause them to grow and to flower and to produce fruit Uh, a hundredfold. I pray we would be witnesses and lights to this world with a light that we do not have in ourselves, but has been placed in there by your Holy Spirit. Give us boldness, Lord, and I pray for healing for each one of us. I pray uh, for Paul, who's sick in the back, that you would heal him of his sickness today. And I ask that you would do this for your glory. We pray for Ted and his cancer, Father, that you would heal him I pray that the doctors would be blown away at your power and your love and Ted and Diane would be blessed because you are faithful, God. And there's a lot of hurt and a lot of doubt and God, I pray that you'd help us to believe in these situations. Come in and save the day, God, we ask. We pray for Bev and uh, Lord, she's been sick and I just pray that you would heal her for your glory. And all of us, all all the rest of us who have been sick, Lord, we want to come to you in obedience to pray for those things. Thank you for giving us sickness sometimes so that we remember that we're frail and we're weak without you. We will praise you with everything we have, even if you bring us down to our grave. We will worship you, Jesus, uh, with everything we have. We will seek you and we will not stop calling upon you. We're going to serve you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, and we pray that you just continue uh, in this last few minutes to solidify what you've done in our hearts, that we would look to you continually in humility and faith. Amen.